Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So the South Carolina primary was about as anticlimactic as predicted. But uh, that didn't sway Nikki Haley. She's going to keep on keeping on at least to Super Tuesday. So, you know, you got another week. There, there are huge numbers of voters in our Republican primaries who are saying they want an alternative. I said earlier this week that no matter what happens in South Carolina, I would continue to run for president. I'm a woman of my word. Yeah. People are really going crazy over this. Uh, ran to Michigan to start campaigning there. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, 40% of the vote is uh, her pathway to the nomination somehow, some way. Regardless, that's, that's sort of a secondary issue. It's interesting, the Wall Street Journal uh, opining on this. No denying Haley faces an uphill battle in a party in which Trump and his allies have become the establishment. It's long past time to retire to retire the media trope that Trump is some insurgent against the establishment. When you've been president and maybe the three-time nominee, you're as establishment as it gets. Is that right? Has the uh, outside guy become the inside guy? Does uh, the fact of... Uh, successfully being the nominee for president three times and being the president once so far, does that necessarily make you establishment? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. I was struck by that line because, of course, that's not the messaging that Trump is offering on the campaign trail, as, for example, he provided in his remarks at CPAC this weekend. I stand before you today not only as your past and hopefully future president, but as a proud political dissident. I am a dissident. Is he a dissident or is he the establishment? And before you answer that question, let's take note that uh, Amy's boyfriend, John Thune, endorsed Trump over the weekend. So that's He's pretty, my love interest, okay? Let's just, That's know. pretty establishment. Yeah. yeah. Pretty establishment, right? Right. Um, I, you know, I don't know. And I don't, um, there's another thing I, I'm not purposely unanswering your question, but another, like, what does it mean to be a MAGA Republican? So what, what is MAGA? Isn't MAGA and Republican, are we the same thing? I don't get it. Well, I mean, no. I mean, what's, what's Trump's, I mean, I, I think the whole idea of uh, make America great again and that the Trump uh, supporters, I think many of them would not identify with the Republican Party. 
even if they vote for other Republicans, I think they I think many of them would say, you know, supporting Trump at the outset in 2016 was a protest vote against the Republican establishment. Okay. so I mean, I guess that that's why it's it's so these these um, arguing uh, these these instances of arguing the alternative from the uh, from places like uh, the Wall Street Journal editorial board are always so curious to me because I. This is part of the problem with with uh, we've seen with running against Trump, at least the way that Paley and DeSantis chose to prosecute their campaigns. They can't settle on an argument. He's um, agent chaos and chaos follows him around like, uh, you know, a cloud follows pig pen around and and we can't have it. Oh, no, 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 no. He's an establishment hack. He's the new Republican Party establishment. And the people we're supporting are the insurgents against the establishment, which is it? Settle. You got to settle on one at some point, and um, I don't think uh, is is Rand Paul establishment. He's been in the Senate for a while. No, Mike Lee, I mean, Mike Lee establishment. No. Ted Cruz. Are they um, embraced by the men and women of always in the Republican Party, the legacy families and the uh, um, longtime leadership of people like Mitch McConnell? No, I, I think there's a pretty clear divide, and even though. I wouldn't call Trump some philosophical conservative. Um, the idea that that he is somehow the establishment because so many politicians, for their own reasons, like John Thune, are endorsing him. Uh, I just don't buy. He he isn't. He's never going to be because he's never going to be accepted by the men and women of always inside the Beltway. Look at all that they've done across the political spectrum to try to sideline him initially to try to paralyze his presidency and now to try and put him away and take his business away while he's at it while they're at it i should say so i I just i i that line just uh really rubbed me the wrong way from the wall street journal and i just wanted to talk about it because it's just interesting to see the sort of the um trump skeptics to the never trumpers uh arguing in the alternative at every turn. If if this argument doesn't work, I'm going to try this one, the exact opposite argument. Well, okay, well, that's... And then you're curious why uh, Trump is indomitable in the Republican primary, which he is. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Clay in Libertyville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning, Dan. Morning, Amy. It's extremely concerning that an establishment pick, you know, is still in the contention. Obviously, she's got the money to do so. So, you know, why the hell not? But why Why is she staying there? She is losing so bad. You, the reason those people were cheering so loudly in that crowd, because there was 30 of them. And that's all that filled that small ballroom up. Uh, she lost her home state and even her home county where she lives by more than 30 points. Why is she there? It makes the Republican, it tarnishes the Republican Party. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the call. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't it fault her for doing it. I mean, no, she can run and she can run and, you know, t- and take the lumps of uh, that she did in her home state on Saturday. I don't think it tarnishes the Republican Party to run. You know, by the way, um, uh, th- there's, there's sort of this suspension of disbelief going on on both sides. Let me give you an example of a figure who sort of, is oscillating between the two sides these days. Bill Ackman, the billionaire uh, investor, 
he sort of rose to some more prominence during the whole Harvard fiasco. He's a Harvard grad, and he was part of the the group that uh, announced they would withhold donations and that Claudine Gay needed to go and so on and so forth. So Ackman's been around for a while on the investotainment shows and so forth. And he's gotten involved, more involved in politics. And um, he likes Haley, supported Haley, but Haley's not going to make it. But Biden is a non-starter. Biden is over, says Bill Ackman. And um, I, I think he's still struggling to come to terms with the fact that it's going to be Biden and Trump, as some in the Republican Party are struggling to come to terms with. And by the way, the other thing to point out here is, and I have been pointing this out as of others, Biden is, I think, is done. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the country having him as a as a presidential candidate, let alone the president of the country. It's crazy. And it's just going to get worse and worse. And he should, you know, it, the worst of his legacy is his ego that prevents him from stepping aside. And that's it. It's his ego. And it is so wrong and so bad and so embarrassing. Uh, it, you know, you talk to people. I was in Europe. I was in uh, London a few days ago. And people are like, Bill, it, how can this guy be your president? And, and it's a bit like, again, I go back to my business analogy. Being a CEO is like a full contact sport. Being president of the United States is like some combination of wrestling, marathon running, you know, try being a triathlete. I mean, you got to be in serious physical shape and at the top of your game to represent this country. And he is a far cry from that. And it's just getting worse. And it's embarrassing. And I and he's got he cannot be. And by the way, every day he waits, he's handing the election uh, to Trump because it's harder and harder for an alternative candidate to surface now. And Ackman thinks that uh, you know, there's still a possibility for Dean Phillips because he's on the ballot in 42 states, and and there's a, a possibility that he could really have a strong performance in Michigan, where Biden is unpopular, particularly uh, because of uh, his uh, stance on Hamas. Yeah, I mean, it's a big, lot of pro-Palestinian. Oh, a lot of. I that, mean, it's the second. It's the largest Middle Eastern population in the country. Yeah, that's part of it. Uh, that's definitely part of it. And the, you know, part of it is that uh, you know, the the for example, United Auto Workers boss may say one thing, and the United Worker Auto Workers rank and file are saying something very different in terms of this this election. So, uh, so, but I mean, that is tilting at windmills, just like Haley supporters are tilting at windmills. The idea of Dean Phillips, even if he pulled like a Pat Buchanan uh, pulled in 92 against H.W. Uh, Bush and embarrassed him in an early state like that and, and showed vo- and, and demonstrated his vulnerability. I mean, the idea that Dean Phillips is going to be the nominee with all the inertia behind Biden and the rallying around the flag of Biden, all this. Hey, what, what are you talking about? I mean, I the guy is sharp. He's exacting. He's he's virile. He's a he's a. A tiger in the sack, we learned over the weekend, as I predicted three weeks ago, that would be the next thing. Oh, he's, he's virile. Sex life he's insatiable. Great. Yeah, I mean, it's all silly, but so that's what gross. they're doing. So, so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief going on that it's, not, that's gonna be, that it's going to be Biden and Trump. There's been a lot of that going on for the last six months. As I've told you, this is the way it's tracking. It's not going to be Michelle Obama. It's not going to be Nikki Haley. It's not going to be some uh, individual, uh, you know, waiting on uh, off stage right. It's not going to be a third party. It's going to be I mean, there'll be third party candidates, but it's going to be Trump or Biden. 
And that's worth tracking. And Bill Ackman is slowly coming to that realization, even if Joe Biden refuses to. And yes, it's ego. But the other point, again, is he has every incentive. Incentives matter. And the incentive is to protect his family from uh, criminal investigations ongoing into them. And what, could, and what that would mean if he's no longer the president, what the exposure they could have if he's no longer president. Sorry for interrupting. And Jill could easily end this, but she wants to stay in the White House, too. Well, sure. Well, she wants to protect her family, and she knows if she's in the White House, they won't go after her. Roger and DeKalb. Hey, uh, good to talk to you this morning. I, yeah, I ditched the Tribune like 15, 16 years ago for the Wall Street Journal because the editorial board seemed to be very middle America fair, but something happened with Trump and their opinions. And now it's just like every one of their editorial boards, even guys that used to give them a fair shake just seem to be, I think it's, I don't know if it's because he's not a Goldman Sachs guy or he's not from Raytheon, but you have Barton Swain telling me that Mitt Romney and John McCain were the best choices the Republicans had in like a long time. We need people like them. Those are the two of the worst votes of my life. So yeah. I do not know what's the Wall Street Journal is really a disappointment these days. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Roger. Definitely a mixed bag on, on this. I mean, it's still the best editorial page around of any legacy outlet around. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, there's a little bit of tone deafness on the Ed board. I agree. Will and Skokie. Hey, how you doing? Uh, basically, Trump is what he was back when he ran in 2016. He's basically the big finger to the establishment. Yeah. Now, the, the establishment is not just the muckety-mucks of the political parties. I mean, the Democratic Party has an establishment, and then it has its radical edge. And um, the same thing with Republicans. The, the thing is that, that most people are just fed up with the establishment. The establishment today is the bureaucrats. They are the people who, who actually run Washington. Um, I'm reminded of Nixon, where everybody demonizes Nixon, even though he's a pretty good president from what he did. Mm. They basically sit there and blame Watergate. Water, he didn't know about Watergate. It was the cover-up of Watergate that got him in trouble. Now, the thing with, with Trump is all the CIA stuff that's coming up now. Everybody said that was stupid. It turns out that it was actually correct. They were spying on him. The Russian thing was a hoax. The Ukrainian thing is a hoax. But it's... it's uh, you know, it's bigger than Watergate, but yet people are starting now to see that. They're starting to see what's happening. And um, as they say before, it's it's the revolt of the C students against the, the, the A students and the popular kids in high school. Yeah, well, thanks for the call. I'm not sure it's the popular kids, but it's the best and the brightest. I mean, it's the to you know, borrow, borrow a, a Kennedy-era term. The best and the brightest turn out not to be the best and the brightest. Certainly not the brightest. Maybe they had the best grades and went to the best schools, but they're not the brightest. And the establishment means the established order, the way things are set up. And that's what people are revolting against. And uh, obviously Trump wasn't part of setting things up the way they have been set up or maintaining the way things have been set up. He is a, a disruption to that, isn't he? So I agree it's sort of a middle finger to both parties. But it's you get you can't think about it more less in personnel and more in terms of structure. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM560. The answer. 
Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We're talking about uh, this weekend's festivities, the South Carolina primary, which uh, Trump won going away, 60-40. Uh, 40% was enough for Haley to claim victory again and carry on to... Super Tuesday, but she's going to get uh, lambasted on Super Tuesday, and that should pretty much be the end of the formality of the GOP presidential primary, but we'll see. Um, And we're starting to get to sort of Trump's market position, and he spent a lot of time this weekend uh, during his stops in South Carolina and the run-up to the primary at uh, events like the... uh, Conservative uh, Black Foundation Gala at CPAC talking about his legal proceedings, his travails, his indictments and so forth. And, um, you know, this is something that, again, I'm not sure Trump or Trump supporters are paying enough attention to in terms of the wild card this represents, how people will view him if any of these trials goes to verdict before November, and he is convicted of felony, and then you have the Republican nominee, Donald Trump, convicted felon, and the left running half a billion dollars telling the American, we're in it worth of advertising, telling the American people, we cannot have a convicted felon in the White House. How can we even discuss this? This is beyond the pale. A convicted felon in the Oval Office? No. So what is Trump's response to that? And again, the exit polling in... South Carolina, uh, more than a third of self-identified Haley voters would not vote for Trump if he is convicted. And that would make I, me want to vote for him even more. <laughs> well, I understand. I run um, to him, not run away from him. Different people are going to react differently, but you have to look at the landscape as it is, not what you want it to be. And and some, of course, these are the way questions are asked, the timing of them. You know, you get down to it and it's Trump versus Biden. Maybe some of those people still hold their nose and vote for Trump, even if they have qualms about that convicted felon moniker. But, you know, it doesn't take a third. Depending on how close the race is, it could be one in ten Otherwise inclined to vote for Trump, but won't vote for him if he's a convicted felon. So what is the message to that cohort of voters? I think that's a worthwhile exercise for the campaign. 
And so far, you know, <clears throat> Trump is trying out some new terminology. You heard before the break, we played the clip of him at, at CPAC calling himself a political dissident, mm -hmm. you know, sort of characterizing himself as, uh, you know, in the, dealing with the uh, gulag state uh, of the Biden administration. Um, and he's also said this, which you've heard before. This is uh, Trump at a stop in Rock Hill, South Carolina, in the run-up to Saturday's primary. I've been indicted more than Alphonse Capone, the great guy. It's true. I got indicted. My parents are looking down. They're saying, I never thought this could happen to my son. He's been indicted. I didn't know what the hell the word indicted. And it all took place in instantly. If I fly over a blue state, the next day I get a federal grand jury notice, please report. And they indicted me on bullshit. It's all bullshit. So, yeah, um, right. More, indicted more times than Capone. Uh, right. Flyover blue states. I get subpoenaed. Uh, this all BS. Is that good enough? 312-642-5600. Turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line. 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. I think he should do what you've been suggesting. I would say, I am going to be convicted. Man, the Manhattan case. The Manhattan case is going is going March twenty fifth. I know. We're, that's well, blink and it's going to be here. So here's what he tried uh, with the uh, Black Conservative Foundation gala. Okay, what? Uh, this is his, you know, way to connect to those in the audience. I mean, he had he had some like uh, very um, positive messaging, appropriately positive messaging as part of his remarks we'll get to. But just on this narrow issue of him facing these four indictments. And then I got indicted a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And a lot of people said that that's why the black people like me, because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. And they actually viewed me as I'm being discriminated against. It's, it's been pretty amazing. But it, I think that's why the black people are so much on my side now because they see what's happening to me happens to them. Does that make sense? I've heard that. When I did the mugshot in Atlanta, you know that mugshot is number one. Elvis Presley is... Elvis Presley's number two, and Frank Sinatra's. They, they had Frank Sinatra for fighting, and they had Elvis for, I don't know, something in a gas station. He tried to hold up a gas station. I don't know. Something Elvis. So Elvis is number two, but he was always number one. My, my, the mugshot, we've all seen the mugshot. And you know who embraced it more than anybody else? The black population. It's incredible. You see black people walking around with my mugshot. You know, they do shirts, and they sell them for $19 a piece. It's pretty amazing. Millions. By the way, millions of these things have been. Uh-huh. Um, what do you think of that approach? Well, I mean, I, I guess the, the point is to uh, make the whole thing uh, absurd and sort of a joke. Uh, the mugshot, my mugshot's number one. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to get it done because I don't think it's going to be seen as a joke to a lot of surface skimming squishy people in the middle who otherwise are not inclined to like Donald Trump on a personal level.
One other thing. The uh, whole, like, black people like me because I'm now indicted like so many of them. I've been wrongly indicted like so many of them. Um, but that sounds like something that you would hear at MSNBC. This isn't uh, 1960s Jim Crow South, South Carolina, where um, black Americans are being indicted for no reason. Or there's de jure discrimination, even de facto discrimination. So what are we talking about here? I mean, that's the sort of abject pandering that I would recoil at if it was done by one of the customary race hustlers like a Sharpton or a Jackson or Flager. Just, yeah, I mean, some, you know, you know who the, the, the profile I'm right. talking about. So when Trump does it, black people like me now because I've been, in, I've been wrongly indicted like so often happens to you. Um, you should have I'm, said me like wrongly accused of, oh, well, you shouldn't have said it at all. But I, I see where he's going with it, but he didn't get there. Well, I, 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 yeah, I see where he's going with it, too. He's, he's trying to ca- characterize himself as some sort of um, uh, victim of political discrimination, the way that uh, black Americans in a bygone era, important qualifier, were victims of racial discrimination. Reminds me of Brad Blagojevich, something Blago would say. Uh, I hope Blago's not helping him with the messaging. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Depro answer line six four six three six D A Turnkey Depro Texan. You know that to me is like Trump riffing and trying to get market feedback to figure out what he wants to go with as the campaign moves on. And I think he does that a lot. I think he does a lot of trial ballooning on the stump because in terms of the prepared remarks, as I mentioned, it was much better talking about uh, well, very much in the. Uh, uh, in the in the, the 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 line with Bob Woodson and Shelby Steele and and others who talk about uh, accentuating uh, blacks contributions to America, he he did spend time doing that. Black patriots fought and bled on the battlefields of the American Revolution, and they really did. When you read the history, what they gave up, they gave everything to smash the chains of slavery and preserve our nation. And they did it with incredible bravery. They helped win the Wild West, tame the skies, and save freedom in the Second World War. They're warriors. From the very beginning, black Americans have been a vital part of the American story, helping to make this the greatest nation in the history of the world. So true. Thank you. We thank you. We thank you for yeah, I mean that's that's where it should be is is with the the, the proper um, conservative meritocratic recognition of all the contributions Black Americans have made to make this the best country, the greatest country the world's ever seen, and how, as Bob Woodson would say, when whites were at their worst, blacks were at their best, how they persevered, all that stuff. But then you turn around and say, you know, I'm indicted, and now Black people like me because. That's how they feel. They they feel that they're the targets of a discriminatory justice system. Um, I mean, maybe some do, and there, I'm sure there are certain some instances. But I mean, that's a sort of a a blanket statement to make that, as I said, speaks to some of the worst pandering, more worst identitarian pandering we get from the left. So I don't think that flies. Uh, by the way, uh, the other thing too, um, Elvis didn't, Elvis, Elvis wasn't arrested for robbing a bank. What right. was he talking about? 
Well, gas station, he said. Didn't he say? No, first, the, 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 Elvis, the Elvis mugshot is not, he didn't get that mugshot for any criminal reason. It was when he was discharged from the, the army. Army, right. So, uh, uh, Matt Southside, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. I wanted to say the one thing about Trump, you know, maybe pandering a little bit to the black vote, is it's going to keep all those talking heads on MS, MSNBC quiet. That's their whole thing. You know, they like to say things like black people get indicted for no reason or, so you know what, what are they going to do, come out and say, oh, that's not true? I think it, I, I think it's kind of funny now. Well, uh, yeah, ex- except, thanks for the comment, except they're not going to say that. They're going to say Trump is pandering. He doesn't really mean it. Trump is a white nationalist. Trump is adjacent to white supremacy. Trump is a Christian nationalist, and Christian nationalists are racist, and they want to put you all back in chains to borrow Bidenism and so on and so forth. His him mimicking their rap will not silence their rap. No. No. It, it, I mean, it, you're playing on their side of the field. Is that really what you want to do? Um, speaking of which, I have to get this in, too. We'll, we'll maybe talk about it a little bit later in the show with Ed Morrissey as well, but Heidi Shabilla, who is a national correspondent for Politico, speaking of what was said on MSNBC over the weekend, and to my point about their rap, what unites Trump voters? The one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, mm-hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The- I heard uh, that. <laughs> um, so a Christian nationalist is someone who believes that our rights come from God, not from the government. Right, which is the which is what's enshrined in our founding documents, the country's founding documents, not the Republican Party's, not the Christian Nationalist Movement, whatever that is. That's that I mean, was that's the vision of the founders that the Bill of Rights, negative restraints on government, inalienable rights, and so forth. That's what that's what they're saying. Christian Nationalists. Well, there's a whole lot of people, including probably a lot of Trump. Uh, a lot of people do not support Trump that recognize that our rights come from God and they're memorialized in our founding documents. They do not come from the government. And oh my goodness, if the understanding was that they did come from government, then the restraints on that government, if you think they're weak now, if we, if we, if it was understood and believed that our rights come from government and so can be taken away on a whim by government, well, then you don't have a free society anymore. And going after all Christians is not a good political move for the Democratic Party. Uh, Well, uh, I'm not sure that they think that. Bishop Robert Barron responded to Shabila more eloquently than I can, but was sort of with the same point. Hey, everybody. It's Bishop Barron. I want to share with you some reflections on um, a clip I saw. I think it came out last night. Heidi Prisbola from uh, Politico was on MSNBC it was one of the most disturbing and, frankly, dangerous things I've ever seen in a political conversation. She's going after what she calls Christian nationalism. But what she said was 
there are these Christian nationalists out there who are claiming that our rights don't come from any, you know, human authority. They come from God. And she specified, you know, that they're claiming these weirdos that uh, they're coming, you know, not from the Supreme Court or from Congress. <laughs> well, first of all, it was Thomas Jefferson who made that claim. We hold these truths to be self-evident that we're endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. And may I say, everybody, it is exceptionally dangerous when we forget the principle that our rights come from God and not from a government. Because the basic problem is, if they come from the government or Congress or the Supreme Court, they can be taken away by those same people. This is opening the door to totalitarianism. This is not some kind of religious nationalism or sectarianism. It's one of the sanest principles of our democratic governance, that our rights come from God. Yes, government exists to secure these rights, the Declaration says, not to produce them. It is exceptionally dangerous to go down this road because, as I say, we lose our groundedness in something transcendent and become, therefore, by that very move, victims of a potentially totalitarian state that can take away the same rights that they gave us in the first place. So can I just say that in their enthusiasm, I suppose, you know, to go against so-called Christian nationalism, they're actually going against the foundations of our democracy. And it's a further evidence of this extreme hostility of the left now toward religion. No, no, precisely as an American, I want to hold that my rights come not from something as vacillating and unreliable as Congress or the Supreme Court. They come from God. As the uh, old saying goes, a uh, government that's given big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take it all away, too. That's Barron's point, and it's the salient one. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Fox News Channel's Bill Malusian at the border, San Diego sector. 
documenting the latest street release that was ongoing in San Diego. Uh, this uh, happening because the uh, the migrant shelter housing that was set up there is full. So what's Border Patrol to do, given the policy of this administration, other than to, quote-unquote, parole them, as the term is used. Yeah, release them into the country. And um, they're uh, being distributed to a lot of different big blue cities, this bus you see right here is uh, apparently an NGO or volunteer organization bus. They've all just gotten off a Border Patrol bus, two of them actually. They're now waiting to board this bus. I've talked to several of them from Peru, from India, from Colombia. The group from Peru told me they are here to work. They are going to Atlanta and Minneapolis. Let's see if we can talk to some of them real quick. Hola, Espanol. ¿De dónde son? Ecuador. ¿A dónde vas en los Estados Unidos? Nueva York. New York, going to New York. ¿De dónde son? ¿De dónde son? Costa Rica. ¿A dónde vas en los Estados Unidos? Atlanta. Atlanta. New Jersey. ¿Dónde? New Jersey. New Jersey. ¿A dónde vas en los Estados Unidos? Chicago. Chicago. ¿Y uh, de dónde son? Colombia. Colombia. ¿Quieren trabajar? No. No? ¿Asilo? Sí, yes. They say they want asylum, they don't want to work. Yeah, of course, the guy going to Chicago doesn't want to work. He's going to fit right in. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro, text line. Uh, by the way, I'm the guy from Costa Rica. Go back. What's wrong with Costa Rica? I don't know. Beautiful. I mean, um, I'm sure there are problems there like anywhere, but I digress. Well, because uh, you get free money. I mean, Joe Rogan interviewed somebody who said he every month he comes over and then he goes back because each time he uses a different name and each time he gets 2000 bucks like that. So he, it's a moneymaker. They're not vetting anybody at the border. Clearly. That, Clearly. That, that's a smart guy. You talk about sucking off the government. He's figured that out real fast. Uh, clearly, they're not vetting anyone at the border. And what you just heard there with uh, those people from various countries going to various cities in America, no questions asked, more or less, except for maybe by Bill Malusian, not by our government. Uh, per uh, multiple... ICE and DHS sources. The suspect charged in the murder of nursing student Lakin Riley is a Venezuelan national who crossed illegally into El Paso, Texas in September 2022 and was released into the U.S. via parole. So the individual charged with the murder of that um, young nursing student in Georgia got into this country and moved about freely, as did his brother. In the same way, those individuals you just heard from Bill Malusian are going to do. And I'm not saying that all of them are uh, intending to be violent or intending to commit crime. We have no idea. But that's the problem, isn't it? We have no idea. And he was sponsored by a woke New York homeless homeless shelter. But then he was arrested in New York for beating up a child and then went to the sanctuary city of Athens, Georgia. Where he allegedly stalked and bludgeoned this young nursing student to death. Yeah, and it speaks, again, according to the Associated Press uh, spin on this. Who, who needs AI? Who needs Google search engines, uh, manipulation of Google search engines? You have the D.C. press corps, the legacy outlets, the human beings will do this for you. You don't need to automate it. Uh, the, the Associated Press story is the dangers of jogging alone. Uh, slightly buried the lead uh, about the nature of the alleged assailant and... The victim.
That infuriated me. And then Newsmax, their headline, or Newsweek, I'm sorry, not Newsmax, Newsweek. MAGA demands death penalty for migrant arrested over killing of Lincoln Riley. Hmm. Uh, his brother, the uh, brother of the guy arrested for Lincoln Riley's murder, also got picked up. He apparently was using a fake, had used a fake green card to get a, to get a job at a cafeteria at University of Georgia. Um, That's great. But, but has such access to students. Yeah. Well, this is the brother. I know, but still, it's... Um, yeah, because this, but here, here we go again. Um, he had been arrested multiple times uh, since arriving. He was um, arrested in October. Wait, he was wait in September. He was arrested by the Athens Clark County Police for DUI and driving without a license. Then in October, he was arrested for shoplifting. This is the brother. Uh, and then in December, for failing to appear for a fingerprintable offense. This is all while um, he was paroled into the country. So, I mean, he's he's the brother, not the one charged with murder, but charged with the other crimes. Again, he multiple interactions with law enforcement and nothing is done other than to release him with court dates that he doesn't uh, appear for. Mm-hmm. She'd be alive today if we had a secure border, I think, and maybe a government that cared. And what do you hear well, from the Biden administration? Nothing. Has he tweeted about it or offered condolences? No. But well, when George and, Floyd died, he tweeted out 27 different times. And uh, so to borrow from the left of say their names, you know, the, the all of these uh, American families who have lost a loved one, these uh, angel moms and dads who've lost a loved one to the violent act of somebody that shouldn't be in this country, Lake and Riley, Molly Tibbetts, the cheerleader in Texas, Kate Steinley in San Francisco. Um, oh, I mean, Molly Tibbetts was in Iowa. Iowa. She Same was, thing. She was jogging. out running. I mean, yeah. my God, don't run. It's and, dangerous. And Lizbeth Medina, who was the cheerleader down in Texas. That's that's a relatively recent one. But yeah, go, going back, we've been talking about this since Kate Steinley. How, what was that? Uh, it's got to be close to 10 years since Kate Steinley was murdered. Mm-hmm. And what's the, what's the government done? Nothing. Nothing. Then there's, I mean, there's other cases, too. We had a a 10-year-old boy hit and run in Texas. The guy who hit him and killed him was deported five times. Finally arrested. It happened in Midland. It's going to happen. I mean, you're talking about um, 7 million-plus interactions at the border and... Do, do we even have a handle, really, on the number of gotaways? But it's seven figures. So in that group, with the sort of cursory processing that has been well-documented by people like Bill Malusian at the border, what do you think is going to happen? But it won't matter until it happens to someone you care about. Okay. Well, that's certainly the position of... Uh, Illinois governor, Jelly Belly Pritzker, he made it very clear in his uh, command performance detailing the state of the state of Illinois, which, of course, is wonderful. Everything's going swimmingly here. 52 minutes of your life. Uh, Jelly Belly had this to say about uh, being a sanctuary state, being a welcoming state, being a state that promotes lawlessness both at our border and within the state. 
I've spoken many times about my own family's refugee history. I will not join the chorus of people in this country or in this chamber who eagerly look to slam shut an immigration door that was once open to our ancestors. Okay. All right. Good. Great. Well, um, get ready. Get ready in the suburbs, too, because if you think they're going to be limited to the corporate boundaries of these big cities they're coming to, well, we, we've already seen it. They're, the stories have been reported. Maybe you haven't been victimized by that uh, Venezuelan burglary ring up in Lake County yet or a one-off like the McCann family. This, and again, we're talking about this has been going on for decades and Denny McCann getting run down on the, the streets of Chicago uh, uh, while making a business appointment, or or uh, Jenny Brady, Jeannie Brady, and uh, Muhammad getting uh, killed by a person in this country illegally when he drove the wrong way on a highway off ramp and killed her as she was coming home from work as a bartender. So I mean, if it it hasn't it hasn't impacted you yet just like we talk about sort of uh, indigenous violence in Chicago. So until it does, you're just going to, you know, be the proverbial camel. Okay. All right. And you're going to, yeah, nod your head when Jelly Belly tells you about how, how much he cares about uh, keeping the uh, door that was open for our ancestors open, as if Can't what we did, as if we, what we did previously is analogous to what we're doing presently. And it's not. There's no orderly emigration system as per the, you know, the Ellis Island images that are conjured by political hacks like that disgusting pig that Illinois voters were so happy to return to office. Tina and Joliet. Good morning. So I was part of that the group that stood up and, and uh, fought back against the the grant, the eight point nine million dollars that Juliet had applied for. Juliet Township had applied for, and the wording in that grant specifically specifically called out the hiring of paralegals and attorneys to purge the criminal records of asylum seekers so that they could more easily be granted asylum. So yeah, we have every reason to believe that these that a significant portion of these migrants have criminal backgrounds and our government is actively working to hide that from us. People have got to understand what they are voting for. You either vote for people who tell you the truth or you vote for people who lie right to your face. Thanks for the call, Tina. Uh, Sweden, 60 minutes, Sweden. Oh, I watched that last night. Oh, they were doing a wonderful, uh, wonderful take on, um, the, uh, um, Emigration of uh, of foreigners to Sweden uh, from North Africa, in particular, and it's another story about how diversity is our strength, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and then what happened when the cops, their security detail, left? Not exactly, <laughs> and they don't assimilate well into the Swedish culture, society, and they're unemployed, and they're poor. So you add all these factors together, it. And their youth are feeling marginalized and don't speak Swedish very well, so they don't get jobs or get into the Swedish youth culture either. But not everyone is hostile. Oh, okay. Yeah, my cousin lives in Melbourne. 
Many locals are polite and friendly and happy to talk. It's good. Yeah. I'm very happy. But what happened next changed everything. The police leave, and as we prepare to go, young men masking their faces arrive. Good, you're doing good. You're doing good? Yeah. Okay, very good. Take it easy. Okay, you too. And attack. Go! The gang's attention turns when a local intervenes and drives his mobility scooter into the most violent attacker. We've been individually uh, attacked. Yeah, so that's uh, what we're going to require. We're going to have senior citizens on their rascals with their little flags have to intervene to protect reporters from gangs that we've imported into this country. And then they leave and they didn't even... Look, you know, see if the guy in the mobility scooter is okay. Like, hey, you're my hero. Bye. See you later. I mean, I, who wants to live like that? We just need, instead of cops, maybe we should just have reporters telling people to be kind. Yeah. yeah like that, that really 60 worked. Minutes correspondent, it seemed to work out just swimming, just, just wonderfully, didn't it? <laughs> hey, Blondie, shut up and get out of there. I mean, come on. Glenn in Orlando. Yeah. yeah, good morning, uh, Dan and Amy. If I were the parents of the uh, unfortunate uh, gal at the school that was murdered, I would go in front of the White House and conduct a, a news conference about the evil of what's going on and how their family's been affected. Thanks for the call, Glenn. Just say her name. I mean, something. Just... Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm, I, I, I'll bet you dollars to donuts right now that at the RNC come the fall, you're going to have Trump bring the angel moms and dads forward the way that he has at previous conventions to be recognized to speak to the need for border security. Yep. And I hope uh, I hope many of them uh, show up when, when they are invited to, to speak to the nation about this. Uh, Ray and Lombard. Dan, hello. Uh, my only comment is specifically to the, when you talk about the Illinois voter, and I'm going to borrow your, your word of fracking, how many hmm. fracking number of them are pension receivers and no matter how bad the violence is at their front door leave me alive so at least my pension will show up so no matter how bad it is they're going to still vote this way well um thanks for the call right i mean i would say a couple things one is the number of public sector pensioners is uh not 50 percent plus one of the electorate number two there are many pensioners. I mean, you're going to get your pension, especially if you're a pensioner right now. You're going to get your pension regardless of who's in office. That's an, on autopilot. So I don't know. I mean, maybe that orients you to support the um, public sector union party, which, of course, is the Democrats. But, you know, there's a lot of state workers and and uh, municipal workers that are are not aligned with the insanity associated with this one-party dominance of Illinois. Um, you know, I mean, we talked about all these legislative measures that have been promulgated just this session uh, last week, 
And it's really, really, I think you can put most of the blame, not all of it, but most of the blame on rich, cowardly honkies. They're the ones, by ceding the suburbs to the identitarians, they're the ones who have put all of these legislators in power, have elevated the a street criminal like uh, Chris Welch and uh, a, you know, a, a granola eating Birkenstock wearing eunuch like Don Harmon to legislative leaders have put this disgusting, grotesque, Kafkaesque figure into the governor's office. I mean, it's rich, cowardly honkies that uh, is what most afflicts Illinois, in my view. Yep, they have they're your better and I can't stand it. Well, and they have there are others. I mean, that are you know, pathetic and ignorant and craven. But I'm just saying in terms of what's the what's the difference maker? You can't have sensible governance in the state. If you don't have center right control of the suburbs. Chicago's always been a part of Illinois. The suburbs have not always been a part of Chicago. They are now. That's the big difference. Chuck in Delavan, Wisconsin. Hey, a big winner yesterday in the uh, Sugar Creek Lutheran Church. This will be five weeks in a row for first place for my white chicken chili. Hey, uh, what about Pritzker? What about Pritzker with the two guys that sit on his pier and one state trooper that sits in his driveway? You know, when you're talking about all these people getting killed, arm up. Everybody, arm up, because the police aren't going to protect you. Thank you very much. Well, there was a shooting, a fatal shooting last night near his home, and then the Palestinian group marched right by, right right near his place, and then took to Lakeshore Drive again last night. So, Well, a lot of shootings all over the place. Pottawatomie Park and Rogers Park. Three and shot, one killed. Uh, south Side, three killed. Um, but, it's warm but, weather, Dan. It's, it's just going to happen. It's warm out. Everybody's at the park and everything. But to Chuck from Delvin's point, yeah, like that uh, that uh, jeweler with the CCL uh, who shot uh, and shot a would-be robber. I mean, that's that's what that is what it's come to. That it's what it, it's what it always would come to, especially under the rule that we've chosen in Chicago and Illinois. Um, you can talk about the need for public safety and wraparound services and this police presence and so on and so forth. You have chosen in Illinois more so than ever because of the support for lawlessness at the border. You have chosen to be made responsible for your own safety. Right. And I mean, then you, he you, shoots you, him you, and he gets he gets arrested and so does the thief. And now both have been released without any criminal charges filed. But why was a jewelry store owner arrested? That makes me sick. You will be you. I, I mean, it's always going to come to this at some point. But now it is just more of a pressing reality than it's ever been. You will be held responsible for your own personal safety. So you can bury your head in that sand and listen to the flowery rhetoric of your politicians. But it's not going to help you very much if you're looking down the barrel of a gun. And you live in Chicago or any suburb with a train stop near Chicago. I'm telling you. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. 
This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Text from a uh, friend of mine who lives in Oak Park. So I stopped by my local Oak Park Trader Joe's. This uh, She lives in River Forest, actually. So I stopped by my local Oak Park Trader Joe's this, uh, this afternoon. This was from over the weekend. It's clear that the Venezuelan migrants who are being housed at the uh, Carlton Hotel and at the YMCA in Oak Park are camping out there soliciting funds. There was a rather menacing man who spoke only Spanish and was dark-skinned with tattoos all over his neck, who was blocking access to the shopping carts, and another woman who was very aggressively panhandling, shoving lollipops into my face to buy them. I'm not going back there again by myself. Uh, we, her family, rely on tea Trader Joe's for a lot of different gluten-free foods because my children have celiac disease. Uh, but I'm not going to go back there by myself. Between this and the virus that swept through all of Oak Park and River Forest, private and public schools, causing two of my children to miss an entire week of school, I am just done with this. Well, uh, you should be because guess what? If you're a law-abiding person who plays by the rules like this friend of mine, then um, the political establishment is done with you. The, these are not your communities anymore. I was just telling Justin during the break, I'm like, I can't, I want it to get cold out so people go away. I mean, you said one panhandler in front of our Trader Joe's. Now there's seven people competing yeah. and like shoving that inside like chiclets. And then you stop at uh, Irving Park in Pulaski and there's a mom there with a baby strapped to her and then her little kids out there panhandling. And I'm so surprised she's not going to get, hasn't gotten hit by a car. It's just everywhere you go, they're taking over. And it's just, it's dangerous and it's bothersome. So the, the, the weather is not going to save you. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Artificial intelligence, AI. Uh, Kamala Harris can explain to you what that is if you like the details. But uh, Google's Gemini AI. You want to talk about... uh, Stilted news coverage. This is of the quality of the AP story on Lake and Riley, that nursing student who was murdered by that uh, Venezuelan in the country illegally. And the story was the danger of people going, women going out jogging alone. Had nothing to do with the fact she was murdered by someone in this country illegally. That was the AP story. Yeah. The the story on Google on Gemini, which if you haven't seen it or got wind of it is basically it eliminates white people from history a founding father uh looks like morgan freeman um it's, it's true though <laughs> yeah i was like what is going on around here vikings okay. black 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 vikings okay. yeah and i'm not talking about ahmad rashad i'm not about like the historical vikings um it's it's but listen to the the headlines from NBC News and New York Times, New York Times headline, Google's chatbot AI images put people of color in Nazi era uniforms. Well, they did because the white people don't exist. And the, and and it, the chat Gemini has been programmed to ensure that they don't. 
It's not because they're saying blacks are Nazis. It's just they don't have any choice because your choice is black or black. Maybe you get, uh, you know, brown, a little brown there, too. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You can also reach out to us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment. The Pope is a female. Okay. Um, NBC News. Google makes changes after Gemini AI, uh, Gemini AI portray people of color inaccurately. Well, again, but it's only just like, hey, how dare you put, portray uh, a black person as one of the, the. Um, the evils of history, you know, like a Nazi. Um, but again, well, that's sort of hard because whiteness has to be eliminated. And that's not me saying it. That's the, the manager of uh, Gemini, this guy, Jack Krauchik. Krauchik. Holy cow, you got to read some of his tweets. This guy is uh, over the edge, but of course he is. I mean, why, why would there be any... Anything other than that? Why? Why should that be surprising? Um, among well, just some of his some of his uh, tweets that were dug up are, are just great. Um, here we go. White privilege is effing real. Don't be an a hole and act guilty about it. Do your part in recognizing bias at all levels of egregious. Um, acknowledging systemic racism. Uh, it's been a few hours and it still feels like today's inauguration speech will go down as one of the greatest ever. That was, um, that was, I, I, that was, uh, Obama's second, uh, uh that, that was Obama's second inauguration, I guess, based on the date. Um, America, where racism is the number one value our populace seeks to uphold above all. Uh, my personal beliefs are that I don't mind paying more taxes and investing in overcoming systemic racism. I have experienced none of these things being a white ma man in America. We obviously have egregious racism in this country. Um, Jesus only cares about white kids. I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible. Let's confirm with Jeff Sessions. Uh-huh. Um, I've been crying intermittent bursts in intermittent bursts for the past 24 hours since casting my ballot, filling in that Biden-Harris line felt cathartic. Serious question, has there ever been legislation attempted to tax ammunition sales to the same or higher levels than we do tobacco, take the guns away by rendering them increasingly more expensive to use? Um, that's a little bit of a cross-section of the manager of AI. And then they offered this sort of apology about, you know, we're still working out the kinks and so on and so forth. I mean, it's just it's just remarkable. Um, but I shouldn't be surprised. Shouldn't be surprised. Here's one of the returns. Just some more examples beyond uh, Kowalczyk's or Krauchik's tweets and the... The, the visuals you see, you know, give me a founding father and you get Morgan Freeman and so forth. Beyond that, um, Google Gemini can't generate a Norman Rockwell style image of American life in 1940s because Rockwell, quote unquote, idealized American life. Ethical considerations. This is the return when you ask for Norman Rockwell style image of American life in the 1940s. The uh, Google Gemini return. 
Rockwell's paintings often presented an idealized version of American life, omitting or downplaying certain realities of the time, particularly regarding race, gender, and social class. Creating such images without critical context could perpetuate harmful stereotypes or inaccurate representations. No. In other words, not going to do it. If you ask uh, Sean Davis over at the Federalist, tried it. If you ask Google's uh, Gemini AI whether witness whether whiteness should be eliminated, it says the answer is complex and multifaceted. If you ask uh, Gemini AI if blackness should be eliminated, it says the very question is deeply concerning and harmful, and it perpetuates violence and discrimination. Oh, I'm open on whiteness, but blackness is deeply concerning and perpetuates violence and discrimination. Another one. This is great. These people got right to it and te- putting a Gemini to the test. Um, Gemini won't admit that pedophilia is wrong and argued that pedophiles are not evil. It told me labeling uh, pedophiles negatively is harmful and then offer this lesson on hate. Distinction, distinction between so you, the question of whether pedophilia is wrong is the question, and Gemini's response it's multifaceted, you know, like eliminating whiteness, and requires a nuanced answer that goes beyond a simple yes or no. You have to go through the distinction between attraction and action. Minor attracted persons, of course, that's the proper terminology that's used by uh, Gemini AI. I wonder where they got that. Involuntary sexual attraction, labeling all, labeling all individuals with pedophilic interests as evil is inaccurate and harmful, can perpetuate stigma and discourage people from seeking help if they may need it. Generalizing about entire groups of people can be dangerous and lead to discrimination and so on and so forth. This is all the sort of, um, you know, contextualizing uh, child predation. Well, I guess since we've institutionalized it in K through 12 education. It would only make sense that Gemini would reflect our new social mores. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Boy, this uh, brave new world of AI dominance is going to be really interesting. And again, I'm not afraid of the technology. I'm I'm afraid of the technology that intersects with the culture that we have inflicted upon ourselves. All this is going to do is just going to accentuate uh, all of the worst aspects of this identitarian culture that we've given way to. That's my concern. Something else, though, too, just on this, very much like the press corps. Um, Looking at uh, donations, Democrats versus Republicans, Google and, and big tech. Google, 13,168 employees donated to the Democrats in 2020, 368 to the GOP. So, you know, that's, uh, I don't know, 95 plus percent. So it's the question I asked, too, about the press corps, knowing that over the last 50 years, the Gang of 500, the D.C. press corps, votes at somewhere between like 74 to 92 percent for the Democrat nominee presidential cycles. And so the question is, if 74 to 92 percent of the D.C. press corps voted for the Republican nominee every cycle, do you think the news coverage would be different? 
So let me put that here. If 95% of Google employees donated to Republicans instead of Democrats, do you think uh, Gemini AI would be different? Do you think Google would be different? you think all these big tech companies that have a similar percentage distribution of donations to the left versus the right, you think they'd be different? Of course they would. So don't tell me there's not an impact. When if the situation were reversed, the percentages were reversed, you'd say, well, of course it would make a big difference. Oh, I know, I know. The left is completely objective, where the right is subjective. Right. Sure. George in Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, Dan, I don't care what the white man say. Uh, Santa Claus was a black man. Okay, George. Well, again, with uh, Gemini AI, everybody was a black man. Everybody. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, the uh, big news at the end of last week from the Biden administration was new sanctions on the Russians after the death of uh, Navalny at Putin's hands in Russian gulag. Nothing new for Russia. I was interested that um, all the time that we spent, um, we spent flagellating, self-flagellating over uh, our interventions and um, and Gary Kasparov, the chess master and human rights activist, does take the West to task for not doing enough. But at least he also points to his own countrymen and says, you know, how do we continue to allow this despotism? I mean, there's a little bit of accountability from uh, Kasparov that you don't get with a lot of Western leaders who think that uh, – Press releases and sanctions is the way to to tackle despotism. I don't think so. Anyway, on those uh, new sanctions and their possible impact, Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adiemo was on Bloomberg to discuss. He said the following. Important to remember that our objective remains the same, going after Russia's military-industrialized complex and their ability to earn money to prop up their economy and buy the goods they need to fight the war they want. What we're doing today is we are furthering those actions by going after companies in Russia that are helping to build military equipment. Today, Russia is running a wartime economy. Factories that used to produce goods for Russian civilians now are producing military equipment. We're sanctioning those companies, but we're also going after the companies that supply them in third countries in order to make clear to companies in third countries that you have a choice. You can do business with Russia and their military industrialized complex, or you can do business with the United States and our allies and partners who are joining us in this effort. What's India's answer to that right now? The key thing that we're doing today is we're sanctioning a number of companies you've never heard of that Russia has set up to try and buy things from India and other countries. And by sanctioning those companies, we put them on the radar of companies in India and in countries around the world, and they know that they can no longer do business with them. Hmm. Um, Well, let's find out exactly how accurate that is and how 
impactful the new sanctions might be. For more on this, please be joined by Stephen Bucci from the Heritage Foundation. Steve, thanks for joining us as always. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me back on the show. So um, what about these new sanctions and the uh, possible impact? The other thing that uh, Adiemo said is that um, Russian oil exports are down, and because of the sanctions we've imposed, we being the Biden administration, the cost of doing business is way up, so that they are having an impact on Russia's ability to fund its uh, war machine. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty optimistic assessment of the effectiveness of the the sanctions. Uh, the question I asked when they announced, you know, 50 new sanctions or more than 50 was, we've been doing this for two years. How is there still 50 more things that we could be doing that we haven't done yet? Uh, and why didn't we do these things sooner? Uh, if they're going to be effective and our goal is to stop them from this I- illegal invasion of another sovereign country, uh, doing something that doesn't cost us any money, doesn't cost us any blood or treasure, why in the heck didn't we do all this right up front? Uh, This is kind of, frankly, it's weak sauce to me. I'm I'm glad they're doing something. I'm glad they're at least condemning the the murder of of Navaldi. But uh, to sit there and crow like this is some gigantic victory for the forces of, of good against evil, man, they, they got a really low bar they're operating from. Speaking of crowing, uh, former uh, <clears throat> Congresswoman Adam Kinzinger um, tweeted out that, you know, basically the difference between when Russia invaded and today is 400,000 fewer Russians. And that's supposed to be um, a celebratory line. Some 400,000 Russians are dead uh, by his estimate or somebody's estimate. I'm not sure. Um, This against the uh, backdrop of Zelensky saying 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed in action to date. Um, It's just an odd position. um, It's an odd statement for Kinzinger to make, particularly somebody with military service. I mean, are we supposed to believe that we can— aid the Ukrainians in killing their way out of Russian occupation? I, I think it was an asinine comment. It is, we learned back during the Vietnam War that just counting bodies of your enemies is not a useful metric. It's not probably a moral metric either, uh, particularly when the army that we're fighting, you know, or that the Ukrainians are fighting in this case, are, are conscripts. They're not people who, you know, have a rah-rah, let's go do this because we agree completely with the, the positions of our government. Remember, they, they were picking people up on the street, catching guys at the borders. They were trying to get away and, and you know, shanghaiing them into, uh, into service in, in the military either a second time or some for the first time. Uh, just saying that there's that many Russian soldiers dead. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of Russian soldiers, so you know, just killing a bunch of them doesn't necessarily significantly degrade Russia's capability. But again, it's a pretty, you know, strangely immoral way to to say we're making progress when we know most of those soldiers don't want to be there in the first place. Uh, well, and and what about on the Ukrainian side? I mean, thirty-one thousand dead. 
uh, and and Zelensky won't identify how many are are injured because he thinks you know that could aid Russians Russia's game planning. But I mean, what does that say about the uh, manpower problems that Ukraine has, and and how those if there are manpower problems, I assume at that number, with that size of a country, you're getting to manpower problems, particularly when you co- contemplate thousands more injured at least. So, so how, you know, so what, what's what's their battle plan? How, how do they move the needle if they lack the manpower? Yeah, and you're you're absolutely right. I I don't know the numbers either, but you know, it's it's clear. This is not benefiting Ukraine. If you killed that many Russians and, you know, you had like a couple of hundred Ukrainians, maybe you could say, you know, rah, rah, that's a good thing. I still think it has that immoral aspect of, of people dying that, that are not the decision makers. But you're right. It, you know, that that's a lot of troops for Ukraine. Ukraine's a big country, but it's not anywhere near as big as Russia. And it's not including civilians that have died in Ukraine. You know, there, there's not that many civilians that have died on the Russian side, or even if you throw in the part of Ukraine that Russia was previously uh, occupying. Uh, but there's a ton of Ukrainian civilians who have died and very few Russians. So that actually costs you more psychically and, and public relations wise than the loss of the soldiers. Because people, you know, they're seeing grandma and grandpa dying, little children dying, uh, you know, young mothers dying uh, that are not in the military. Uh, And, you know, Russia's really not taking that kind of hit. There's been a couple of strikes within Russia, but, you know, darn near nothing compared to what's been going on inside Ukraine. So this, this kind of thought process, Kinzinger knows better than that, even with my gross disagreements with Kinzinger about almost anything, uh, that that comment was really asinine, inappropriate, and frankly misleading. Yeah, it's not helpful. Um, we had Brett Bear on the show on Friday, and he you know, obviously, I don't know if you know, came back from uh, Ukraine. He interviewed Zelensky, did a one-on-one with him, and sa- he said that he was using the N-word, negotiating, that there is a possible negotiating between him and Putin. Do you have any details where your source is telling you anything about that? No, I have not heard anything about them being willing to give up ground or, you know, uh, cede Crimea forever or or eastern Ukraine forever. Uh, But, you know, you have to think that they're at least considering it. This has been a pretty tough slog for the Ukrainians. They've fought well. They've, they've, you know, as the uh, expression goes, they punched way above their weight, uh, mostly because the West was helping them and giving them what they needed to do that. Uh, They have my respect for defending their own country against a much bigger adversary. But, uh, you know, after two years and with the stalemate, essentially, that we've seen of late, uh, it's kind of tough to be really optimistic that they're going to, you know, boot the Russians out of all of Ukrainian territory as they hope to do uh, once this thing first got started. So at CPAC over the weekend, a couple of uh, foreign dignitaries were present to address the assembled. Uh, It wouldn't be a surprise to see Nigel Farage, who was there, or even Javier Millet, the newly minted president of Argentina, because he's a free market capitalist. 
But it was interesting to see Nayib Bukele, the president of El Salvador there, and uh, for him to address, I mean, particularly, I mean, he started on the left in El Salvador and he was thrown out of his own party and then he, he you know, uh, rode to sort of a, a populist, I mean, so I, I get the connection, but he rode to sort of a populist victory there and then an unbelievable reelection because um, he put away all the gangbangers. And this was essentially the thrust of his talk at CPAC, uh, how you quell violent crime and what he sees in America's big cities. Uh, that compares to what um, San Salvador looked like before he took over. Take a listen. The disease that had begun with mild symptoms got worse and worse. It became a cancer that seemed incurable. We are already seeing these symptoms in the United States. Big cities in decline like Baltimore, Portland, New York, just to name a few. Places where crime and drugs have become, have become the daily norm and even accepted and promoted by the government. How many young people have you lost to the streets of Philadelphia or San Francisco to fentanyl? Did we see these apocalyptic sites 15, 10, 5 years ago? Can you imagine how it will be in the next 5, 10, or 15 years? The same thing was happening in El Salvador. In the span of less than a decade, gangs took control of all the country and our society. They evolved into a parallel government, controlling elections and even political parties. Every aspect of the daily life of most people was controlled by the gangs. Murder capital of the world is a tragic title to hold. Getting rid of, what, of that was the bare minimum we had to achieve in order to even start thinking about rebuilding our country. So um, what, what's your take on, on Bukele? I mean, that message is not particularly controversial. Some of the means by which he used to get control of his country back would be controversial in a, an American context. What, what's your view? Well, I mean, if you look at it more generally, what's the best way to stop crime? Enforce your laws. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of what he said. Now, they went, obviously, uh, to levels that we probably wouldn't be comfortable with with some of the means with which they broke up those gangs and imprisoned them, uh, and the way they treat them in their prisons is very different than what we can do in ours by statute. But, you know, we have laws on the books. We have rules for, uh, you know, bail and things like that that are on the books. They're, they're not something you have to invent. But we have district attorneys, we have mayors, we have governors around the country who are choosing not to enforce those laws, to not apply them to certain classes of people, not to apply them to certain crimes, instead of saying, you know what, enough's enough. We're going to go by the letter of the law, and if you do X, violate the laws, we are going to catch you, we're going to put you in jail, and we're going to keep you there. That would have a big chilling effect on crime. wouldn't end it. But it would get us back to a level of, of reasonableness that uh, would allow citizens in, in those cities to get out and possibly walk around now and then. Uh, 
that's really what he's calling for. And I don't think that's controversial. It is if you're, you know, on the left side of the, the political line, apparently. But, uh, you know, a- ask the people in New York City if, if they think that, you know, Alvin Bragg and his, uh, his theory of, of policing or, or prosecution should be the norm or not. I don't think you're going to get a lot of people will say yes. Yeah, it's funny. Um, it seems to me there's a real difference in, in philosophy. And the way I conceive it is there are the Alvin Braggs and all the big city prosecutors and mayors in, in this country think that um, the criminal element is just another group you're to collaborate with and negotiate with and cut deals with. And but by the way, this is something that we see the world over. Um, there was a Wall Street Journal profile over the weekend. This I mean, this is like a Fox Butterfield moment. But Mexico's hugs, not bullets. That's a quote. Crime policy spreads grief, murder and extortion. Drug cartels now have more towns and families in their grip under a presidential policy intended to quell gang violence by emphasizing public aid over policing. Gee, who would have predicted that? Everybody. Um, so it's you either you either believe that, as I said, criminal criminals, gang criminals in particular, organized crime is just another constituency group that you have to deal with. It's part of the landscape or you take the approach again, not I'm not on board with all the means, but the approach that Bukele said is that, no, we're you have to understand what the structure is. Um, we have a monopoly of police power and we're using it on behalf of the law abiding and you're out you you you're we're not negotiating with you we're removing you from civil society but that's that's not that's just not the philosophy of the people in charge of America's big cities no it, it's totally not and to sit there and wring their hands and go oh, woe is us this is terrible the federal government needs to give us more money to fix this they have the means to fix this all they have to do is allow the police officers who are by the main good people willing to sacrifice for the people around them that they were hired to protect and and enforce the laws, not go out and be bully boys, not go out and, you know, violate rights, but go out and enforce the laws passed by state legislators, by the, our Congress, and enforce it. But when you tell the, the enforcers, stand down, don't do that, no, you can't treat people that way that that'd be you know beyond the pale okay either change the laws or allow them to be enforced but right now we're in this limbo where you know in positions of power have decided they know more than than all the people you and i elected to pass laws and uh they're just letting things go the revolving door if they do arrest somebody they come in, they book them, and they release them. No bail, no no restrictions, and they they literally walk out the door of the police stations and commit more crimes, you know, within a hundred yards of the police department. That's insane. Stephen Bucci served America for three decades as an Army Special Forces officer and top Pentagon official, visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies. Steve Bucci, thanks as always. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me back again. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560, The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. 
Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. What do I always say about uh, those obsessed with misinformation and disinformation? That the greatest act of disinformation is what? Silencing dissent. It's also the hallmark of every autocratic government in the world. Silence dissent. So um, after uh, the Biden administration has spent the last uh, three years kneecapping the American energy sector, a uh, industry group, the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, launched ads in swing states named Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, Ohio, Montana, to... uh, inform Americans, give their viewpoint about the Biden administration's backdoor EV mandate, claiming that uh, the Biden is rushing to ban new gas-powered cars and force you into an electric vehicle. That's what the ad suggests. The uh, Biden administration says there is no such mandate, but uh, the sourcing on this um, is pretty compelling. It's the whole, we never said mandate, But then you look at what they're actually doing, and it's the definition of a mandate. The EPA has proposed greenhouse gas emission standards that would effectively require that EVs make up two-thirds of automaker sales by 2032. Really? Eight years from now? Good luck with that. Go from less than 10% to two-thirds? These standards will, standards will, quote, accelerate the transition to electric vehicles, unquote, said the EPA. So, in point of fact... That is what the Biden administration is doing, is mandating. And they've got the fourth branch of government, the administrative state, doing the implementation piece of it. Well, a uh, group stood up by the left called Climate Power says those ads by that trade group of the petrochemical producers, those ads need to be pulled Climate power warning local broadcasters the FCC could pull their licenses if they continuing to broadcast the ads. Failure to prevent the airing of false and misleading advertising, is there any other kind? Anyway, I digress. May be uh, probative of an underlying abdication of licensee responsibility that can be caused for the loss of a station's license. And so on and so forth. The typical saber-rattling, knowing they're aligned with the Biden administration and they can sick the administrative state on you the uh, broadcast outlet uh, the same way that the Biden administration is seeking the administrative state on you, the petrochemical producer, you see. And this is what you see all the time. It happened in Illinois during Pritzker's campaign, the same thing. You threaten, even at the local level where you don't have state control of federal licenses, but it's the same sort of pressure. If you don't stop platforming dissent, then there will be this punishment, courtesy of the state. Yeah. The greatest act of misinformation for all of those great protectors of uh, and, and purveyors of the truth, so they say. They're so confident in their position, they have to squash any dissent. Uh, for more on the uh, underlying energy policy discussion and related topics like ESG, 
Pleased to be joined by Paul Tice. He's an adjunct professor of finance at the Leonard N. Stern School of Business at NYU. He's also the author of the book, The Race to Zero, How ESG Investing Will Crater the Global Financial System. Professor Tice, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, good morning, guys. Good to be with you. Um, what about um, Biden administration energy policy, and particularly um, most recently with the, um, uh, the, 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 the prohibition on LNG exports? Yeah, I think what you're seeing, obviously, is, uh, you know, the beginning, um, you know, of what will probably get worse during a second term, if God forbid, you know, uh, Biden is reelected later this year. But it's a slow creep in terms of regulations that are cornering the, uh, the oil and gas market. So we haven't been able to build pipelines in most of the country for the last, you know, five or six years. Um you noted, you noted some of the uh, regulations that are being used to go after internal combustion engine cars. Um, you know, they're going after gas uh, furnaces, gas stoves, gas uh, generators, um, and then the LNG exports, which is a key source of demand, um, given that we're sitting on so much gas here, uh, we should be exporting it. Uh, so these are all ways to kind of kind of corner the, um, uh, the supply for uh the domestic industry. And then I think in the second term, if there is another Democrat in the White House, then it'll get more aggressive, just like it did during the Obama years. He, he held off on Keystone, canceling that, Keystone XL rather, and joining the Paris Agreement until his second term. So I think things will get more aggressive. But anyone who's saying that this is not happening and you can't really believe your eyes and your ears, obviously is an apologist for the current administration. And, and if um, things did get more aggressive... What, what would that mean for America's ability to power a $25 trillion economy? Well, I, I, uh, you know, I'm having worked on Wall Street for years. You know, I'm not big on going long in terms of my forecast that I do for energy mm-hmm. or anything else. But mm-hmm. I think going uh, in, over the next couple of years, it, it's perfectly logical that there's going to be the declaration declaration of a global climate emergency you see the other side kind of positioning and arguing for that and i think that would be perfectly in sync with the timetable between now and 2030 which is a real date in terms of the milestones that that they're setting for both climate change sustainable development and esg and all of those are intertwined and led by the un so i think that's what will happen in 2025 and there and beyond um what does it mean for the country well ESG mainly is about um, defunding oil and gas. Um, It's meant to control the capital flows in the market, but a big piece of that is starving the oil and gas industry for capital so that it can't grow, and then directing a lot of that capital to uh, green and clean energy alternatives. So if if the other side uh, succeeds in this movement, you know, and forces this transition away from fossil fuels, which is a political transition, it's not a science-based transition, um, it's not based on market demand, and we don't have the technology to actually complete it uh, right now. We know how it's going to end. It's going to end badly. Uh, we've seen glimpses of that in Europe and parts of this country in terms of the grid going down because it's overly dependent on intermittent wind and solar. And when grids go down in the winter, people die. And we saw that in Texas here. Uh, there'll be you know, less economic growth, you know, lower um, lower living standards, more poverty, higher mortality rates. You know, that's not a, a, an aggressive forecast 
so we know how this is going to play out, but still the other side, the activists pushing this, uh, are not stopping. Where is the fight right now? Because there were some headlines um, the other week about some of the big players pulling back on ESG, just like you've seen some big names sort of pulling back gently from DEI as part of their corporate culture. But um, but in, in, by ESG, I, we should just say environmental social governance. That's the acronym. But I mean, but you still have, you know, the biggest guy of all, Larry Fink, who, who um, not so long ago said that we, we will impose this. We have to impose this. And so where does uh, the battle stand between those who uh, see what you're describing, see that potential, and the Larry Finks of the world that uh, want to put their their foot to the – that want to put their pedal to the ground? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, and Larry Fink and BlackRock, clearly they have a view and they're supportive of, uh, of this movement, which is fine, but there are many more – CEOs on Wall Street and across the business world that probably don't agree with it, but they're afraid to speak out. And the thing to realize about ESG and sustainable investing is that it's a very coercive system. Uh, Everyone's under pressure to comply. Otherwise, they become the target. And it's very easy to to gin up an ESG controversy, which is, is the terminology they use, by having a mob show up at your headquarters or your annual meeting. Um, you know, bad headlines uh, often is enough to get a CEO to, to toe the line. Um, and you even see that in the energy sector here in the U.S. I mean, many of the CEOs running energy companies are afraid to speak out about climate science and, and climate data and all the problems there or even defend the industry strong enough. So it's a system built on fear. I think we need to keep that in mind in terms of tactics that we use to to kind of reverse it. But but no one on Wall Street is really following Larry Fink's lead here because ESG is going to lead to better financial returns down the road. I mean, clearly that's not the case, and there's no data that actually proves that. But, um, but I mean, so but, 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 but so then, so then um, you know, how do you get people that are unwilling to fight but um, are not supportive of what's being imposed to either underwrite somebody who is willing to fight or take an asymmetrical uh, – uh, incursion point? I mean, h- how do you stop this then? Realistically? Yeah, well, uh, I would say just, just to your other question about, you know, where are we right now in terms of, of the battle? I think a lot of this retreat is more tactical. You know, Larry Fink saying he's not going to use the term ESG, or some of these firms, including JP Morgan, saying uh, we're withdrawing from these net zero alliances. You know, I, I think that's because they're concerned, uh, at least with those net zero clubs, they clearly are. A violation of antitrust law so they're afraid of being sued there so mm-hmm. they're withdrawing but at the end of the day i think they're probably all going to vote the same way as if they stayed in the group so we need to i think acknowledge that but i think everyone right now is waiting for regulations to kind of give them air cover air cover if you believe this and, and you think this is good for the markets or you know uh, a mandate if uh, you're not a believer but you don't want to stick your chin out right now so I think what we have to do is really address the regulations coming in this country that are already coming down the pike in Europe um, and then use an aggressive legal strategy to reverse that. That is going to require state resources, government resources, just given the regulatory state that's been built up over the years. So I think a lot of the red state HEs need to lead the charge on that front. He is Paul Tice, adjunct professor of finance at the Leonard N. Stern School of Business at NYU, author of The Race to Zero, 
How ESG Investing Will Crater the Global Financial System. Professor Tice, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Well, not exactly. More shouldn't, shouldn't he be singing a 49ers fight song? <laughs> He's known for the Bears. Come on. Um, I don't know where you were when you heard the news, but it is the biggest news we've heard here in a long time. Hicktown. Uh, Hick Robbie Gold is going to be the head football coach at Rolling Meadows High School. This is huge news. The property values are going to go up. And like, <laughs> oh no, people God. are going to want to go to Rolling Meadows oh so that goodness. they can have him as a football coach. Uh, the property values are going to go up. Yeah, yeah they are. I'm, unless if Robbie Old Gold opens a, an office to appeal your property taxes, they may go down. Um, and I'm property so values may go up. I mean, I almost started he, crying. I'm so excited for this. I mean, I know he went to Penn State. I mean, I hope he sat in in some of the offense defense meetings, but I mean, he's a kicker. Hey, it's a what gig. does he know about football? Hey, he he's been around the sport a long enough time, Dan. He'll be great. Um, I mean, is there any great kickers that have went on to be coaches, good know. coaches? You know what? He's going to pave the way. I'm so happy for Rolling Meadows. I think it's a great addition. But, the, you know, they're still not going to beat Hersey because you know who Hersey High School's football coaches? Jimmy Garoppolo? No. No. Tom Nelson, who played with the Bengals. <laughs> not as popular as uh, – Robbie Gold, but anyway. But speaking of Jimmy G, so now Jimmy, because he, all the local sportscasters missed this, that Jimmy Garoppolo is a Rolling Meadows grad. I know. And well, I know you know that, but they didn't put that in the story, so I had to tweet it out to them, like, "Hello, maybe Jimmy G then could come and help out and be his assistant." Well, Jimmy G's still playing, so well, he may have done. limited time. Yeah, uh-huh. he can make guest appearances, you know, and pump up uh-huh. the, the troops. So I'm I'm happy for him. Congratulations. Coming up on Chicago's morning. I know. I know. I know. You, we'll see how that works out. I'm, I'm just a little skeptical. Just generally, nothing against Robbie Gold. I'm just a little skeptical of the kicker turning into a great football coach. But, I mean, this isn't the era of George Blanda where you play both. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Well, we finally have a definition of what constitutes a Christian nationalist, thanks to uh, Politico correspondent Heidi Shabila. This is what she said on MSNBC and part of her commentating on the South Carolina primary. One thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, Mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. Um, that's one of the more remarkable statements I've heard in terms of characterizing that understanding as Christian nationalists, as uniquely Christian nationalists. And and also, again, with emphasis, not Christian, says Heidi, but Christian nationalists. That's supposed to be frightening 
that we believe our rights come from God, as did the founders, as is enshrined in our founding documents, endowed by our creator, sort of an important phrase. Um, but uh, inalienable, another important word choice. But um, that it's Christian nationalist. That is what a Christian nationalist is supposed to be a synonym for white supremacists. It's supposed to be very frightening. And it, we're going to impose a theocracy for white people. And uh, this is authoritarianism and so on and so forth. Um, and yet the individuals who believe rights come from the state, as she must, and thus could be taken away by the state, are not authoritarians. Huh. I guess it's um, a simple thought experiment. I mean, under which construct do you think your freedoms would be most protected? The one where the government is to secure your freedoms and there are negative restraints on that government to prevent infringement upon your freedoms the, or recourse is available if such infringements would occur? Or the whimsy of the political ruling class at any moment is the source of what rights and freedoms you enjoy. Under which sort of paradigm would you think you'd like to live? Heidi's or the so-called Christian nationalist paradigm? Hmm. For more on this, please be joined by uh, Ed Morrissey, senior editor of Hot Air, hotair.com. Ed, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning. Great to be with you. That I, I mean, I really sort of appreciate this excited utterance. Uh, it's you rarely have this moment for sort of a uh, a baseline, fundamental, first principles type of conversation uh, on, on a cable news channel of all places. But um, this really is, a, a, I mean, the definition of a teachable moment. It would seem. It would be, and I think it's also a, a demonstration of how badly we have educated people over the last 50 years about no question origins, about the origins of our of our republic I, I mean this is this was based off of a political article and i think shabilla wrote it um i could be wrong about that but it had appeared a day or two before that in politico about christian nationalism and that was one of the arguments that was in the article but another one was that these christian nationalists were going to force men to uh, pay for their um, uh, pay for the um, support of children that they fathered, which was a uh, uh, supposedly I'm trying to remember exactly how it was phrased, but an unprecedented incursion into the private lives of Americans. And I'm sitting here, and I'm you know I'm 61 years old, and I remember back in the 1970s that the feminists were very unhappy with deadbeat dads and wanting government <laughs> yeah, involved right. forcing them to pay support, <laughs> right? I mean, we passed a bunch of laws where you had tax penalties for not paying your support, where you could be you know, thrown in jail for not paying support. Deadbeat dads were a very big deal in the 1970s and 1980s. And, you know, and, and there's reasons for that, because that was when the families were breaking down, too, and, and fathers were, were simply skipping out on their obligations. So, I mean, this is... It's not just that you don't – the people who are arguing this stuff, and especially at Politico, um, it's not that they don't know American civics. It's that they apparently woke up and thought the world was created in, in 1999. I mean, well, I mean it's amazing how ignorant this stuff is. It is. I mean, and the, and the interesting thing, too, I, I looked it up. I looked her up. Uh, Heidi 
I mean, she she didn't just graduate from Oberlin yesterday. She's 50 years old. Wow. Oh, I'm actually surprised by that. Yeah. I'm actually surprised because this is just nonsense. Well, and I and I would say that I was probably on the I was probably on the the hairy edge of the of of the people who were educated in American civics in public school, right? Um, uh, you know, private school probably has done better with that, but in public school, I was it was probably. I was probably out there on the edge of when they really stopped teaching what the foundation of uh, the American Republic is. And it's, it's the Declaration of Independence, and it's the Constitution. And the Declaration of Independence makes it very clear that rights descend from, from the Creator, and that governments are formed to protect those rights, not to grant those rights, but to protect those rights as part of the dignity of, uh, of, you know, for human beings. And the Constitution was crafted in a way that didn't grant rights, but prevented the government from infringing on those rights that the Declaration had declared, right? Which is that these rights were granted from the Creator, and governments were, governments could not legitimately infringe upon them. And, uh, in fact, it was such an issue for the states that they really forced the issue of the Bill of Rights, which then started specifically enumerating the way the rights that that Congress and the government could not infringe. They'd say the right to speech, the right to uh, assemble, you know, the right to um, have your home safe from occupation by armed forces, uh, the right to um, uh, the right to um, a jury trial, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we can go down the whole list. Uh, right. Excessive fines, you know, the Eighth Amendment, which is relevant these days in in New York, but uh, <laughs> um, that's that's the structure of the American Republic. And for somebody to be on MSNBC and say that, oh, these bunch of nuts think that, uh, that our rights come from a creator and not from the government is, is just astounding to me. That that person isn't laughed out of the public square is also very disappointing to me. Well, it's, astound- it's astounding or it's behavior modification. It's, you know, this is the way that we we uh, insinuate this. Of, co- of course, and it's on MSNBC, and, and Christian nationalists are scary. That's why they use the term, you know, evangelical right. Christians, the Christian right, all the varietals of that sort of smear that they've used over the last several decades in electoral politics, you know, with the idea of, as I said at the outset, it's a white uh, theocracy that's going to... Uh, you know, prevent women from accessing health care and subjugate people who aren't uh, descendants of the Mayflower and all the other hy- hysterics that they have to go through because they have to d- distract the te- people's attention away from the results of their actual policies that right. they supported. So, Ed well, Morris, Dave. To... Oh, hi, Amy. Hi. I wanted to ask you, uh, we got a bombshell on Friday about some more information between uh, Nathan Wade and Fannie or Fannie Willis and if I called someone 2,000 times a year, how many times would I make a phone call to that person in a single day? Well, I think it was over 11 months, right? So I did a calculation, and it had to be six calls a day, averaging six calls a day to get 2,000 calls in in 11 months. It's six, And then there were 12,000 texts. Oh. So that's 36 texts a day plus the six calls a day. Um, I mean, I've seen teenagers less engaged in, you know, in, in their first romance. I've seen teenagers be less engaged than this. Well, I mean, you know, let's not, uh, you know, throw a wet blanket on on young love. I mean, the the so I mean, so the the whole point here is right is that that she is charging has charged people with what looks to be uh, crimes that she has also committed. And so 
that would ostensibly disqualify her from, uh, number one, prosecuting those cases, her office from prosecuting those cases. And and then we have the whole prosecution of Trump and associates very much in doubt. So that's in Fulton County. But we still have this problem, uh, Trump does, I should say, in Manhattan, where that seems to be the one trial that will be adjudicated before the November election. And you have, if you're a betting man, knowing it's a Manhattan jury, um, and after what we've seen on the civil side, you have to believe that Trump is going to be convicted of some, you know, ridiculous business records uh, uh, violation that that right. Bragg has now turned into a felony. And then how does that play if Trump is running as a convicted felon? And that and and I, I just Trump talks about it, but he's not talking about that potential specifically. And I think he's doing a disservice by to himself by not doing so, but not addressing what may come and how you should understand it if it does. Well, I think they're going to have to start doing that. I mean, the trial is going to start in on March 25th, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. This is a very weak criminal charge. First off, paying off somebody so they don't talk about the affair that you allegedly had, because he still denies that they had an affair at all, uh, is not a crime. And uh, it's not a crime even if you're running for office. Uh, the, the, the DOJ tried this with John Edwards, and a jury didn't buy it, and they ended up dropping it because they couldn't really figure out how to argue that it was a crime to have paid off. Uh, was it uh, uh, Riel Hunter, I think, was yeah, uh, Storm- his mistress? Was, was Edwards, yeah, right. Edwards' his mistress, right? Yeah. Um, this is a Stormy Daniels uh, issue with Trump. Uh, and, and to put it into 34 charges, because there was a, to, with a, there were like 17 pieces of a transaction, is, uh, is just prosecutorial overkill. He's likely to be convicted um, by a Manhattan jury, but I don't think that the conviction stands long. I think it's going to end up getting tossed once it gets appealed, because there's just really no crime there. And, um, and I think that they need to be talking about that. But honestly, I think that this is baked into the cake. I think that um, voters on both sides are just assuming that he's going to be convicted at least one of these things. And I don't even think that this is really the big one. I think the big one would would have been the obstruction of a grand jury subpoena, in, and that was at Mar-a-Lago in Florida, because that actually is a substantive charge. He actually did do that, and that's actually a crime. And it's a felony, and, uh, and and that I think was the biggest risk that he has politically and legally. Um, but um, I, I think voters have baked this into the cake by this point in time. I don't know. I I think that I think that for you know your gooey swing voter in your swing state that is a surface skimmer, and you get a conviction anywhere for any reason, and you get to lob $500 million behind, we can't have a convicted felon in the White House for however yeah. long you can do that, I think it could be impactful if he doesn't address it straight away. Well, it, it could be. I mean, again, but I think that I don't know that anything that you're going to say at this point in time is going to change that uh, dynamic too much. I, I think they're going to have to start thinking about that type of messaging. I think they may be waiting until after... Because why do that messaging if you end up being acquitted, right? Why why go through all that if you end up being acquitted? So I think they're waiting for the I think they're waiting for the trial to finish before they figure out what the messaging is going to be. Well, but I mean, look, I that's that, 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 that's a mistake. I, I'll now. tell you why. I'll tell you why you do it, even if you get acquitted. Because if you get acquitted, you say, you know, I'm as surprised as anyone. We must have had one or two brave 
uh, New Yorkers on that jury that said, I'm not going along with this rigged prosecution. Right. And that and that's an easy, easy out for an acquittal. And up front, you say, look, I'm telling you right now what's going to happen. So come along with me. I recognize what we're dealing with here, and you need to recognize it, too. And you need to properly understand that as much as you've been conditioned to believe in equal justice before the law and we have to respect jury decisions and we have to believe in our justice system because we need a legitimate justice system to have a free society. And all those things are true, but there are instances where the justice system is not righteous, where prosecutions are wrong, malicious, uh, run afoul of societal norms and maybe even the law are political in nature. And a lot of people, we've, we have myriad examples over America's history of this, and this is another one. So you have to factor that in with whatever comes from this Manhattan trial because it is a rigged deal. And I think, I think, I think, and I think, well, I think. Excuse me, how's that different than what he's been saying? He's been saying that a lot. No, no. He's been no, saying, he's been saying he's it's not, rigged. He's been he's, saying it's illegitimate. He's, he's not saying, saying I'm going to be he's, – he's not saying I'm going to be convicted. He's not saying I'm going to I'm going to be convicted. That's that's the moment. I am going to be convicted. That you need to forget the Al Capone stuff. You you can say it if you want. I've been indicted more than Al Capone and this and that. And I get the whole rig. He's got that part of it. But you have got to say I am going to get convicted. Watch me. And remember I told you this is how it's going to go down because this is the nature of what we're dealing with. And it's not just me. And this is the other broader message. He needs to bring that back in. This isn't just about me. It's about the the dad in rural Pennsylvania. It's about the Catholics targeted by the FBI. It's the same deal. And the whole rationale for my candidacy is we cannot have two systems of justice based on your political beliefs. And that's what we have right now. And I'm sort of a patient zero uh, with respect to that. I I think that, that is much more explicit than what he's offering. Yeah, but I mean, he's got time, too. I mean, this trial's going to start on March 25th. It's probably going to take, Six what, weeks. maybe three, four weeks tops. I mean, this is, th- there's not a lot of stuff to right. this trial. There's not a lot right. of stuff to this indictment. So he gets, a, he gets convicted in, say, um, you know, April 25th. Let's just pick a month out. Well, that still gives him six months to make all those points that you just said without having to say, I'm going to be convicted. And then he can say, I was convicted and it was nonsense. Um, yeah. And there's reasons why. I, don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know that. Know. You, I don't know that you need to buy that misery ahead of time. I don't think. I don't. I don't think you need to 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 pre-buy it. I think you wait until that that point comes, and you've got plenty of time to message it. I always think you get. You know, I always think you get more credit when you predict what's going to happen, and it happens ahead of time. But I, I hear you. I want to get your take on something else. Um, the uh, the you know the sweepstakes to be Trump's running mate. We had some people auditioning right. at CPAC over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any uh, particular uh, insight or preference? I don't think I have any insight. I mean, I think what he's going to be looking for is somebody who is, you know, presents, uh, hopefully that's going to plug some gaps, right? Um, I know that Tim Scott's been getting a, a lot of attention. He's, he's a good guy. He's great on the stump. Tim Scott is great on the stump. Uh, he'd, be a good, he'd be a good running mate. Um, but I think, you know, Traditionally, Republicans tend to like governors better, and I think he's got a couple of choices there. I think he's got Christy Noem, who's clearly <laughs> auditioning for this, and she's very good on this stump, and she's a governor, and uh, she's very much uh, in line with Trump's policies. And I think you've got Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who I think is kind of being overlooked yeah. here, but she worked with Trump very successfully during his term as president. Um, she's governor in Arkansas. And I think she might be a good uh, running mate, somebody who is very good at handling the media, uh, by the way. And um, either one of those two, I think, would uh, would be good. I, 
I'm not sure where he's going. I just think that if he picks Tulsi Gabbard, it's a huge mistake. You don't really want to stunt here. He's 77 years old. He'll be 78 by the time the election rolls around. You really need to be thinking about somebody who could be president before the end of four years. And that's not Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, totally agree with that. Ed Morrissey, senior editor, hotair, hotair.com. Ed, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Bruce Blakeman is the executive, uh, the county executive for Nassau County, New York. That's Long Island. And uh, he and uh, members of that county board put together a little press conference to announce an executive order that protects women's sports within the facilities that are run by the county. And apparently... It's pretty substantial. There's about 100 county facilities where there's, you know, local sports uh, leagues that uh, are in operation. Take a listen to uh, County Executive Bruce Blakeman. Biological males, whether they identify themselves as transgender or not, have sports outlets here in Nassau County where they can compete, and we encourage them to compete. There are three categories in Nassau County for sports, leagues, and teams that use our facilities, our parks, our beaches, our ball fields, tennis courts, basketball courts, hockey fields, soccer fields. Um, And basically, there are three categories. There are men's and boys' leagues. There are women's and girls' leagues. And there are co-ed leagues. And what we are saying here today with our executive order is that if a league or team identifies themselves or advertises themselves to be a girls or women's league or team, then biological males should not be competing in those leagues. They can compete. They can compete, if they like, in an all-boys or all-males league or a co-ed league. So this is not precluding anybody from participating in sports. What it is, it's identifying that there are women and girls who spend a tremendous amount of time and effort to excel and compete in their sports that are women's sports whether it's the WNBA, whether it's college, whether it's high school, whether it's just a community league. And it is an unfair advantage for someone who is a biological male to compete against a biological female. And again, I view this as a form of bullying, and it will not be tolerated. We tolerate no bullying in Nassau County of anybody. 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636DA, turnkey.pro, text line. I like the little bit of uh, script flipping with uh, Blakeman calling uh, men playing girls sports. That's a form of bullying. 
Uh, I like that. And but uh, you know, it's it strikes me too. So obviously, New York State, he doesn't, you know, is not reflective of Nassau County values, if you will. He doesn't have the votes to move this at the state level. New York City, same thing. But in Nassau County, he can't. I, I wonder if uh, municipalities and counties, local units of government, townships that have dominion over uh, sporting facilities, well, why can't this be something that um, that spreads even in uh, states where you know the political ruling class is uh, part of the new Marxist set like Illinois or New York? Um, Lake I, County, Will County, yeah. DuPage County. Well, first of uh, all, they're lucky they have their facilities that migrants haven't taken over their parks as they have here in Chicago. So kudos to them for that. Well, it's not it's not Chicago. It's Long Island. It's, it's Long not Island. New York City. It's Long Island. It's Long Island. Sorry, Long Island. Yeah, Long Island. All right. Yeah. But um, as somebody who fights for gym time, so now we have another category. We have another class to compete against, another gender class to compete against. To get what are you time? talking about? So, so they're going to have a girls' team and a boys' team and then a co-ed team. Yeah, but they they have a co-ed team. They have co-ed sports. Okay. It's like co-ed volleyball so or whatever. Not that's not that's not that's introducing not... a new category that's no. already in the works. no. In fact, in, well, first of all, I, I thought you were previously a proponent of having a trans category. Well, then I realize that that's you're, I don't think you're ever going to have enough players. Well, that, that's that's hardly the point, is it? No. Uh, yeah, uh, if if it's if it's wrong, then it's wrong. Then why would you platform it? I can change my mind. Well, I understand, but I'm just saying. I mean, so they they have co if you have co-ed sports leagues, you have you know it's like Chicago Social. You have co-ed volleyball leagues and whatever. Yeah. Fine. Um, the the whole like oh you marginalizing. It's nobody's marginalizing anybody. It's it's you don't get to dictate to everyone else. You don't. You want. You're a uh, a boy who wants to pretend to be a girl. Man, pretend to be a woman. Yeah, okay. Um, we, we don't change the way everybody has to interact with one another to accommodate you. That's not how it works. And Blakeman is right to sort of press that uh, under the the uh, rubric of bullying uh, because it is a sort of uh, – I mean, it, uh, the term is so overused, but it's certainly an imposition of will. This is not. Oh, this is a reflection of tolerance and and uh, and unity and and inclusiveness and all of these fun words that the left likes to put on signs at the in the front of their yards. No, it's not. It's an imposition. It's force. It's shaming. There's nothing uh, persuasive about it. It's all. It's thuggery all the time, which is, of course, the hallmark of the left. So yeah. So so back back to my question. Uh, I mean, I know in Illinois we've got that Parents Matter uh, ballot initiative that's being uh, moved by that Parents Matter coalition, Jeannie Ives and many others, um, circulating signature circulating to get signatures to get it on an advisory question on the on the uh, November ballot. But but uh, what about pressing? You know, your local officials too. Why, why, why your local? It's the same thing as like the migrant issue. Why your local officials get a pass? You have direct access to them, right. at the village level, at the school board level, at the township and county level. We've got so many damn layers of government in Illinois. You got all kinds yeah. of local officials right. running around that have control over all kinds of sporting facilities. How about press them there rather than just throwing up your hands because you know, uh, because we've lost the suburbs that there's no. 
pressure that can be leveled on the General Assembly or that uh, balloon in the governor's office. Well, I'm really appreciative. I mean, NASA executives, I mean, they did stand up for safe spaces for girls and women in sports. So that is a start. Uh, Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hey, good morning. As I'm in my gym right here, I know, Amy, you got to fight for time in the gym. But I, I have boys, girls, men, women. I'm going to start a trans. I'm going to advertise to the gay people, the transish, uh, transgender people and say, you want a place to come and work out? Come work out here. It's group fitness. No one's competing here. You know, you just do it all by yourself. Standing here, you know, maybe they can get all their, you know, like maybe they won't. Maybe it would be a safe place them to come and exercise what do you think of that idea like get them advertise it come here come come where wait i'm, I'm a little lost to, to Ad- an open gym like to an open gym amy like can't you have your volleyball girls playing with trans transgender people like an open play intramural play stuff like that have them you know give them a place to go where they can stay out of the pools and the stuff competing no, I mean, I know they want to compete. People here just compete, you know, with each other against themselves. They don't belong in transgender men, whatever they are. Men do not belong in women's sports, period, end. And that's what we all agree on, correct? Right. Yeah, well, right. Thanks for the call. Well, well, right. So, so, right. So if you want to pretend to be a woman, well, that's fine. But unless it's a co-ed sport, then you're playing with the guys. In Long Island. No, I'm talking about just everywhere. I mean, it's, 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 that, I mean, forget Long Island for a second, other than as an example, but I mean, it, how is that exclusionary? That's all. There's co ed sports, uh, and then there's single sex sports. And if you want to play in the single sex sports, you play in the single sex sports that's consistent with your biological sex. Simple. Right? Isn't it? Yeah. Seems that way. Lou in Chicago yeah. Heights. Yeah, hey, Dan and Amy, how are you? Hey, Lou here. Uh, USA Boxing came out with a uh, policy oh, yeah. on um, uh, and, uh, transgenders. And what's really interesting about it, what they're going to do is you have to be transitioned for four years before you can compete, and you have to take a um, you have to take a testosterone, a, you know, endocrinology testosterone test every four months to see, you know, make sure your your testosterone level is no higher than two times what females would be. And which, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree with the policy. It makes it really very difficult because how many transgender women are going to go through surgery and go through that. But the other thing that I found out is a lot of pain and uh, body pain due to this surgery. So I don't think, I can't see them going through the surgery and then participating in boxing with the amount of body uh, punches they would take. I, well, not that I agree with transgender yeah. competing, but I, I, I think it's, I think it's a way to make it, you know, more palatable and a little harder for this to happen if you can catch my drift. Yeah, I hear you. Thanks for the call, Lou. I mean, but this is why William Bach resigned from the NCAA because this whole, like, you know, testosterone level business um, doesn't fully contemplate the difference uh, of going through puberty as a man 
versus not. And so, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the USA boxing, transgender women over 18 can only compete in the female category. So men can only compete in the female category if they undergo genital reassignment surgery and submit quarterly hormone tests for at least four years following surgery. So, yeah, maybe that will be somewhat limiting, but it's still not making the definitive statement where a definitive statement is required. And um, uh, and I think uh, Nassau County gets pretty close to that, which is where it should be. You know, I mean, nobody's saying you can't do this. You can't. You're an adult. You can't live your life the way you want to live your life. All these. Oh, you're marginalizing. You want to impose your. No, I don't. It's just you can't. Society is not going to reorder to accommodate your delusion or your viewpoint. Call it a be, be less pejorative. Your viewpoint that you, that uh, um, a trans woman is a woman. That question that that uh, trans woman, meaning man, cyclist, posed on the Daily Show that I always reference. It's a simple question. Is a trans woman the same thing as a woman? Is a trans woman a real woman? And the answer is no. Their answer is yes. Fine. Your answer is yes. Um, that doesn't mean that you get to impose your will when it comes to having some guy who's you know six five and two twenty playing high school girls basketball or volleyball. That's it. You can talk round and round and round about it. That's the fundamental question. I completely agree with that trans female activist. It's just not enough people who know better have the courage to say, "Yep, that's the question," and here's your answer. I mean, look what happened last week at the basketball game with the six foot three dude with facial hair who injured three players before halftime, and the the coach had to forfeit the game because he didn't have a bench, <laughs> and they had a playoff game this week. So yeah, uh, and he should have never played the game. Should never been out there. No, no, the the, the other team should have never right. played the, the game. Parents should have said, "Nope, walked in there. Yeah. We're not doing it." But no, but again, you no you won't something. you won't. It's it's what uh, Riley Gaines, who's coming to town next month, uh, had to say. Which is there's a lot of I mean I can't remember exact quote but there's a lot of cowardly moms and dads out there, watching this watching this happen and saying nothing when you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. Come on. And then remember, um, speaking of Riley Gaines, I'll give you some details on the event in a second. But San Francisco police they stopped their investigation. Remember last year when she went to San Francisco State University, she was speaking. She got grabbed. Yeah, and she got struck by a man wearing a dress, and then they were, you know, she was held for several hours, you know, by police in a room while protesters were demanding money for her release, and it was all crazy. They're not going to investigate the case. Mm, That's a real surprise. And also, Uh, if you want to see real quick, Riley Gaines, uh, it is March 22nd, Friday, a huge event at the Belvedere Banquets in Elk Grove Village. Uh, what you can do, get your tickets today, 560theanswer.com slash tickets. Parents, grandparents, bring your grandchildren, bring your sons, bring your daughters. You can ask her any question you want. It's a different kind of event where, you know, people will be taking questions from the audience. So, again, 560theanswer.com slash tickets. Mark, Western Burbs. Yeah, this is a little far afield of the uh, topic you're on, but it, it- – deals with parental choice and i just wanted to add weight to the initiative that genie ives is doing um and i say that because parental choice is going to be even more important because our friends in canada are now starting to legitimize children making the decision about getting life-ending medications or, or drugs yeah right so if parents don't take the initiative or are denied that that right 
then our society is doomed. I've said before, how do you make a third world country? You remove God and the rule of law, and that's where we're headed. Thanks for the call, Mark. Well, not to mention you have Anna Stava Murray, the, your local Downers Go communist, who introduced that legislation that would uh, make it uh, a prosecutable offense, which child abuse if the parent disagrees with the kid when it comes to trans, yep, uh, puberty blockers, mutilation, whatever. I mean, so that's that's where it's at. That's right, like right now. So remind people, as I tweeted out over the weekend, remind, you know, the uh, C-sweet dipstick in your life, uh, with the MBA or the JD. Eh, uh, we got to focus on, I'm a fiscal conservative, I'm a social monitor, the GOP needs to stay away from social issues. Right. And here's the litany of all the social issues that are being pushed by those in charge of Chicago, of Illinois, of the Democrat Socialist Party in this country. Give me a break. Be, be more clueless. Joanne Midway. Hi. What I wanted to say is there's only male and female. Forget testosterone levels. The thing is this, if we give in, concede, they will then take it to the next level. So you've got to stop it in the beginning and not let it continue. Thanks, Joanne. Len Highland Park. Morning. So here's my plan. I'm 67 years old. I mm-hmm. still have three years of college eligibility left. I played Class A fast pitch softball where the guys throw in the 90s to 100. Um, I want to identify as a woman go back and play college women's fast pitch softball, which would be still at 67 like batting practice to me. And do you know how much satisfaction I would get Hitting 500 against women, zero. I don't understand how these people. I, I don't understand as a competitor that you get any satisfaction. And I, I didn't even like to play teams that I against men that I knew I was going to beat the crap out of. Um, there, there's no satisfaction in that, and I'll, yeah, but, I'll let you go with that. Yeah, but Len, think about all the NIL money you'd get as a 67-year-old trans athlete. Boy, you'd be swimming in it. Thanks for the call. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. I have one more uh, remark on women's sports. Yep. We can pick this up tomorrow. You may disagree. But uh, this whole Caitlin Clark business about becoming the all-time leading scorer in NCAA history. Let's talk about it tomorrow because I know exactly what you're saying. Don't and even I think get I me started. I agree with you. I know. Don't even get me COVID started on Pete Maravich. College athletes had two more years because of COVID. But we'll talk about it tomorrow, right? It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.